So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. So y'all know we've been talking about this principle of retribution. We've talked about uh, Jacob and Esau, and we talked about um, all this, all of these things that you know Jacob finagled his way into getting this birthright, and it was not, it was not the right way to go about it. But God honored it because it was what He had ordained from the beginning. But He decided He was going to take it into His own hands. And so the story just kind of um, goes on, and it, it continues. But verse twenty-eight. I mean, chapter. We're, we're in chapter twenty-eight. And there are two main ideas I want to make sure that we hit. And I'm just going to throw these out here so that you'll be awake and paying attention for those. I want to hit back on this idea of retribution and, and that what you do so does come back. Um, I think a lot of us are so hinged upon uh, God. You know, God is a forgiving God. God is a God of grace and, and all of that good stuff. And he is a God of grace and he is a God of mercy. And he does not let us experience what we deserve a lot of the times. And we don't get dishonest retribution. But before there was a Christ. And they got exactly that. And and if we're going to be frank and we're going to be honest about these things and we're going to put these things out there the way that they're supposed to be out there, I think the first thing that we must understand is that even though God is a God of grace and we live in this era of mercy um, and, and we realize that we are not sufficient and we don't have the power to keep ourselves from stumbling and to present ourselves faultless before the throne of grace, I think it is also important to understand that the things that we sow, we're, you know, they're going to come back on us and they don't always come back directly on us, but sometimes they come back on our kids. Sometimes they come back at opportunities where we least expect them and things get in our way and we get frustrated. We can't understand why these things are happening all because we made decisions uh, to do things that were shifty and backhanded. Um, and so we find ourselves in Genesis 28 and, and we're still like talking about Isaac and Esau has kind of backed out a little bit. He's, he's present, but he's not really present here for the rest of it. He's going to be present in a couple of verses, and, but we're really, really focusing on Jacob now. Um, where we're starting off today, we see it, it kind of begin with Jacob and Isaac having this conversation um, and then Isaac is giving him some instructions, even though I can I would probably imagine he's a little perturbed. Uh, I would imagine he's still a little upset. He can't believe he's been duped. But at this point, his word is his bond. And because his word is his bond, he's got to he's got to honor that, even though um, Isaac did not come up. go about, I mean, even though Jacob didn't go about it right. And even though he was a trickster and he was a mobster. But I think it kind of speaks to the character that a Isaac has and be the fact that when God has already ordained something that is going to happen. Um, I think, I think it speaks very heavily to this, this point and to this, this, um, this lesson that we have to understand 
that when God is going to do something, come hell or come high water, no matter how you try to spin it, twist it, whatever God has ordained, it shall be. And I do think this is this is a point that we do not have to help God. Um, obviously, um, they kind of decided that they would and they finagled this thing and it is kind of shifty and backhanded. Um, but I think that this this particular story speaks to the fact that humans are backhanded. Humans do make mistakes. Humans try to get in the way of God, but nothing will get in the way of God doing what he pleases. Um, and, and I think this speaks volumes to that. So verse uh, chapter 28, verse 1, we see, So Isaac called for Jacob and, and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Isaac has finally kind of come around. He's kind of, you know, he's I would imagine he's still upset, but he's understanding that this is who obviously God wants uh, in this position. And whether he's finagled his way here, he's the one with whom he has put bestowed the uh, birthright on, and so this must be the person. So verse 2 says, And so go at once to Padan Aram. Uh, to go to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Uh, take take a wife for yourself there uh, from among the daughters of Laban and your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Uh, may he give you and your descendants that a blessing and given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the, possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. The land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac said to, sent Jacob on his way, and he went down to Badan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the, uh, the uh, Aramean, I apologize, uh, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So we're seeing um, this, this declaration that he's got to go. Um, and we know that his mother had to send him away and his father's given him these instructions because they realized that this birthright has been bestowed unto, unto him. And this was not just any birthright. This was not just things. This was not just this idea that he was going to get a little bit. This was the entire fate of the entire world was resting on his shoulders. And if he were to do something, if he was to mess up his bloodline, um, it wasn't going to be good. And I think this is a moment for us to take a rest and look back. Now you remember Esau was the firstborn, and you remember they tussled to come out of the womb, but Esau marries these Canaanite women. He marries these women that were not of their bloodline, um, and these are who he, this is what he's, he's procreating with. And so I think that was already a hint to, unto us that Esau was not going to be able to carry the line even if he was the, even because he was the firstborn, because the line was already dirty. And I know a lot of people, purists, are probably going to hear this. And they're like, oh, well, but, but, but I thought we could mix races. We can mix races. But according to this, the way that God wanted to do, he wanted a pure line um, to, for, the, for the Israelite line to come from. And so it was, it was very important for us to understand that it needed to be clean. It needed to be that the, this line of people needed to be where Christ would come from. And, and surely they're not seeing Christ come. They don't, they, the Christ is not even a thing. Judaism at this point is not even a thing. We're in the pre, we're pre Jews. Like we're seeing the formations of the Jews coming, um, out of Jacob. We're going to see the 12 tribes born, but even before the 12 tribes become tribes or 12 sons. And so before even Moses comes down with some laws or they declare that you are a people, um, 
God has already declared that they're chosen um, and that out of this line that they're going to be chosen. But that's Abraham. Even Abraham has people that he's birthing that are not chosen, that are, are going to be part of the turmoil that we're experiencing in the Middle East and has been experiencing in the Middle East since this time. This is pre-religion. And I think that's kind of important for us to see because a lot of people want to say that, that the Muslims are this or they want to say that the Jews are this or they want to talk about these other religions that have come. Uh, but if we're going to be frank here in Genesis, we're in Genesis 28 and religion is not a thing yet. Uh, we see Jesus on the scene and we see the makings of Abraham appearing and we start to see his, his bloodline begin to form. But in the days of Noah, in the days of Abraham, they might have been worshiping some stuff that they made. But when we talk about a powerful, omniscient God, God was present and they were aware of who he was. But former religion, rules and laws were not a thing. Now, you know, we talked about Cain and Abel and we talked about some of the things that God made innate in us. And so those rules that were made innate, innate in us were, were present, but we're not talking. The law is not a thing. Ceremony is not a thing. All of, all of the all of the things that we call religion are not even a thing here in Genesis 28. And I think this is important that you see, uh, because when we start talking about religion and you want to talk about how you need to govern yourself or you want to talk about legalism, these people are not governed by that. Now, the way that we govern ourselves today is a different day because there are several things that have happened historically and spiritually since this time. But in this time, there is no formal religion, okay? And I, I, I want to make sure that we understand that and we drive that part home, okay? But we also see that Isaac also understands that there is something special coming out of his bloodline here. He remembers that his father gave him everything that he had. And that God made a promise to him and he, and I'm sure he remembers that day up on the Mount. And I'm sure he remembers how he fell out with his brother and how his daddy had all these other kids after his mama died. And I'm sure he remembers all these things. He knows that there's something special in their bloodline. He may not be completely sure of it. He knows that his dad says that God promised him that many nations would come from them and that there was going to be something powerful to come through them. But I'm not sure that he understands the gravity. But he's obviously aware that you've got to steward yourself differently than everybody else. Look, your brother is going to be able to do some things that you can't do. Your cousins, the Ishmaelites and the brothers that came from the other wife are going to be able to steward themselves differently. But you cannot steward yourself the way that they do. They can marry who they want to marry. They can do what they want to do. They can go and they can have all of these things. But I need you to understand that you are set apart. And so I think we can take a lesson from um, we can take a lesson from what Isaac is telling Jacob. You know, we may not be Jews and we may not be Jacob specifically, but there are some things that we just can't do. It's not that we're not capable of doing them. It's not that it'll kill us to do it, but it will hurt the line that comes from us. And it may not be a bloodline, but it may be a spirit line. It may not be, um, it may not be specific, like today it'll hurt you. You'll be struck down dead, but it may inhibit you to, from doing what God has called you to do. And I want you to notice this. The instructions that Isaac gives to Jacob, he only gives to Jacob. OK, there are some things that I can't do, but that doesn't mean you can't do them. It doesn't mean it's sinful for you. It means it's sinful for me. 
And there are some things that are sinful for all of us, but there are some things that we must realize that God will tell you directly, you don't need to do that. And because he tells you, you don't need to do that. That doesn't mean you got to inflict it on everybody else. It doesn't mean that it's going to hurt everybody else. It means that it's going to hurt your witness if you do these things. I know for an example, some people can't handle, um, can't handle watching R-rated movies. And so they don't watch these R-rated movies because they begin to enact the things and they start thinking about the things that are happening in these movies. It doesn't mean that it's sinful for you to go watch an R-rated movie. It doesn't mean that you can't go see a Marvel movie. It doesn't mean that you can't go see the graphics and things get blown up. That doesn't mean that as a whole, as a church, that we are banned from these things. It means that the way that you were made and the witness that you need to make is needs to, you're inhibited from going to do these things. Okay. And I think as a whole, we, we've come to this place where we believe the sanctification for me is the same as sanctification for you. Now, granted, there are some things that, that are overarching when we shouldn't be lying. Okay. We shouldn't be stealing. And I think that, that that goes for everybody. But there are some things that I think that we need to hold close and we need to say, okay, that's sin for me, but not sin for you. You know, that's going to hurt my witness, but it's not going to hurt yours. The people I'm witnessing to are drunks, so I can't just have a glass of wine. Okay? I need to, I need to eradicate that from my diet. Or maybe the people I'm, 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 I'm around are, are gluttons, so I can't have a second piece of cake. You know, the people that I'm going to witness to have sex addictions. So I need to cover up a little bit more. Uh, and, and so I think that it's, it's just important that we notice that he gave him specific rules for him. Okay. Moving right along, let's go to verse six. He says, now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and he sent him to Badam Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padam Haram. Esau then realizing how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father. So he went to Ishmael and married Malahathoth, the sister of Naboth, the daughter of the Ishmael son of Abram, Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So Ish- <laughs> Esau is hot. You know, Esau is really upset at this point. He is not a happy camper. He's like, that was mine. I know I gave it to him when I was sick, but surely you know I wasn't playing. This trickster to went in here and he didn't took my birthright and you gave it to him. We don't even feel the same. How did you let him trick you? I went to make the game. I don't even understand how they played me like this. I, I, I'm sick of all of you. And since he was so upset with all of them, he said, y'all, my daddy don't like Canaanite women. You know, I got two already. I'm going to go get some more women. I'm going to go get some more Canaanite women. And I want to see, I want you to see how I'm messing up your stupid bloodline because you gave away what was mine. I'm so disgusted with you all. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to hurt you. Remember, Esau was a worldly man. You know, he was a man of the field. He was not the spiritual man. And we know that that Isaac, I mean, Jacob wasn't that great, but 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 Ishmael was a worldly man. He was a man who was going to try to get you back. If, if you did something wrong, he was coming for an eye, an eye or worse. He was going to get his retribution and his retribution was not like God's. He was coming for blood. So Esau was angry. And he was so angry, so he was out to hurt his daddy, his daddy whom he loved, his daddy whom he had bonded with. He was so upset that he decided, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure it hurts you to your core. And that's what he did. So he went and married some uh, Canaanite women. And he, that's what happened. That's what went down. 
but it, it continues. Uh, we continue. And verse 10, we see a shift. So Jacob leaves Beersheba. Uh, verse 10. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out the west and the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch you uh, wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Wow. Heavy, right? Heavy, right? But then Jacob, so verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he felt surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. The other, the King James says, this is the house of Bethel. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, uh, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar round, poured oil on top of it, and he called this place Bethel, uh, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God be with me, I will watch, watch on me on this journey. I am taken. I will give me, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. So I will return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me will be will, all that all that you give me. I will give you a tenth. So we get a lot of stuff right here. There's a there's a lot of introductions happening right here. Um, some really really cool stuff happening. Um, and so first thing first thing I I, I want to make a, a parallel. We see in John uh, one uh, forty seven through fifty one we see the gate. This is the Jesus is it? That gives us an explanation. So this gate that he speaks of and this ladder that he's talking about, <laughs> Jesus is the gate. Okay, and the ascent, the ascending and the descending. So when people talk about Jacob's ladder, this is what he's talking about. The gate is Jesus. So the pathway to heaven. Now this is amazing. The pathway to heaven is through Jesus, but we don't know Jesus is concealed here. And we get, it's revealed in John 1 51. You know, they say the old Testament is, is Jesus concealed and the old Testament. I mean, the new Testament is, is Jesus revealed. And this is just one of those, those moments where we see that coming into fruition. Um, but where it says that he's um, that the angels are ascending and descending on it. You know, that's, that's kind of what people talk about the ladder. Um, but, Essentially, what we're getting from this piece of scripture, what, what we're getting from this message is, is it's a confirmation of what he told to Abraham. And here's what I love about God is he could have all these children that's coming at this point. You know, Abraham didn't have any kids and all of a sudden he got all these kids. And then after he has all these kids, here his son he is with, with having these twins. And then they get the right twin, even though the right twin, they were fighting, trying to come out the body at the wrong time. And they were just tussling who's going to come out first. And then they fight over the birthright. After they fought over the birthright, the one that God had already ordained gets the opportunity to have this dream. And he's laying in this spot 
probably a spot that Abraham has already purchased. Remember, because he remember Abraham purchased this land and it's the same land that they would return to. And here God makes this promise and he says that um, your people will come back to this land. So I would imagine he's even laying on the land in which he's promised Abraham. They're laying in the land. He's laying on this land. He's having a nap. And as he is, he sees the stairwell resting on the earth and the top is reaching heaven. And then God speaks. And as God speaks, he makes this declaration that you're going to have all of these descendants. All these people are going to come from your seed. And as they come from your seed, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to watch you. And wherever you go, I'm going to make sure that you return to this land. And then he says, I'm going to make sure that I'm with you. The only thing that can keep you, the only one that can present you faultless. I'm going to keep you until what I have promised you is fulfilled. And so. I think we can take note of this. I think it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty deep because we begin to see the beginnings of Judaism and then later Christianity. Um, and, and we see this branch breaking off from the Abrahamic line. Okay. Cause up until this point, you know, they're all one and the same. All of them came from Abraham, but we begin to see a, a, a descendants, like a, a, a difference taken, uh, taken path. And we begin to see where they're specifically coming from. Cause in a minute, we're going to see the 12 tribes of Judah born. Uh, we're going to start seeing the 12 tribes out of Jacob, out of Israel, coming out of, or maybe 13, you know, sort of kind of depending how, how you want to read it. Uh, but we begin to see how they shift and, and how they come out and how, how awesome that is. And, and it, it's kind of exciting. It's, it's kind of cool. Uh, but when we begin to see um, all of these things begin to unfold, but we see this promise confirmed. And, and that's one of the cool things about God is when God makes a promise, he's going to always confirm it. And his confirmation doesn't always happen at once. Sometimes it happens, you'll pray, and then you'll kind of get an answer, and then he'll confirm some things. Or then you'll pray, and then he'll get an answer, and then he'll confirm some things. You'll pray. Uh, and then, then what happens when he prays? He makes you a promise, and then it feels like chaos, and all of a sudden your kid gets a confirmation of, of the message that, you, that he gave you. And it's, it's kind of cool, right? So that's kind of where we are here. Then we see, um, he's, he makes that promise. And then, so Jacob walks up and he wakes up and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. So he's, he's like, man, boy, was that a dream? And I believe that dream had power. And, and I think it's, it's, it's important to note that Jacob wakes up and he doesn't think that this is, this is the result of him eating too late. He doesn't think that he slept on the wrong side. He realizes that this was God. He realizes instantly that this was what the Lord speaking. And, and I, and I've become very aware that when you, when God wants to make sure that you know, it's him, he makes sure, you know, you be sitting every other day, you sitting here, was that God or was that me? <laughs> was that God or was that my dinner speaking? But when God wants you to make sure that you know that it's him speaking, he makes it very clear. You have no doubt in your mind that when he speaks, uh, that is that is who he is. Now, there are other times where he may be unctioning you or, or you may your conscience may be speaking. But when God speaks and he wants to make sure that you know that it's him speaking, he makes it very, very clear. Um now, I do want to pull this out really quick. In verse 19, we see uh, Bethel. He says, um, he said he called the place Bethel that he was standing in. Bethel means the, uh, the house of God. Um, but then the place had formerly been called Luz. Now, y'all, this is deep. Now, this is deep. Luz means separation. Now, this is how crazy this is, right? You know, we're, we're about a thousand years into existence. We know chaos has been going on since almost the beginning. We know that he's already destroyed the earth once with Noah. We see these generations coming coming down, and we start to see all these people, and we know that God realizes the earth is in chaos, and he's, he's formulated this master plan. So, 
<coughs> so he uh, Jacob names the place House of God. This is it's, it's cool. But the place was formerly named Luz. Luz means separation at the garden. At the garden, we were separated from the grace of God because we decided to sin against him. And bec- and the promise was confirmed at this place called Luz because we had been separated. But the dream, this is how awesome God is. God gives him a dream and, and about being reconnected. He gives him a ladder, a ladder that was, no, was not there at this point. A ladder that they didn't have access to. People were dying and going to hell. People were dying and just, <laughs> that, that, that was it. There was no eternal life. But he, he gives gives him this dream of this stairway that is going to come from his seed, this stairway and a gate that no one's not, we didn't have access to because we, the, the, we, because we lost our access to the tree of life. The tree of life was still there. We just didn't have access to it. Remember we talked about several chapters away that he sent two cherubim to guard the way to the tree of life so that he would be able to restore it. Y'all is getting deep. And remember when he put the cherubim there to guard the way to the tree of life, as he put the cherubim there to guard the way to the tree of life, we're seeing a plan be put in place so that the reconciliation, so that we will be able to get back to this tree of life, so that we'll be able to get back to eternal life, so that we'll be able to get back to this Eden mindset and this eternity mindset, and that we would no longer be in this place of chaos or lose or separation. See, at this point, we were separated from God. Because of what we had done We were separated from God because of our sin But he makes this promise That he says separation doesn't have to Last much longer Separation doesn't have to be the place that you live And so when we can come to Understand that God is taking He is already formulating a plan before he formulates the religion, okay? And so I say it a lot. I'm not a big proponent of religion, but I'm a big proponent of relationship because before there was religion, there was relationship. Before there was religion, there was a promise. Before there was religion, we see God getting, trying to get back to his his relationship with his children. He has the desire to open that gate back up and to give you access. But here's what I love about it. It's a stairway in the New living translation it's a it's a ladder in the uh king james version but all this means is it's going to require something on our behalf to get up to it it wasn't as if the door was just placed on the inside of you and you open the door but you've got to and as we know that later we're going to have to confess and believe they're going to have to take some steps to get to it and so i just i i love how God is already setting this up because we know we got about we got a few thousand years before Christ comes. We got about three thousand years before we get to the place where Christ actually walks the earth. And so to see that he's already setting things in motion because he desires to be reconciled with his children, to see that he has already found a way to fix some things because he know he sees that we're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We're not strong enough. We were made in his image, but we're not him. We were made in his likeness, but we are not all the way together. And since we are not, he's got to give us a few more tips, a few more tools and a few more resources. And so I, I it's absolutely amazing to me when we start looking at this you may not get that when you read it right on but read read that thing a few more times and meditate on it and see the beauty of what God is doing and see a lot of people will read this passage and they'll be like get excited about verse 14 
Because verse 14 is a carnal man's excitement. He says, your descendants will be like the dust of the, the, dust of the earth, and you will spread out the, from the west to the east and the north to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. That sounds like a pride thing. That sounds like a prestige thing. I'm going to give you power on this earth, and they're going to get that. They're going to get power. They're going to get prestige, and they're going to be known all over the world. You're talking about the top three religions, and specifically the number one religion. You're talking about the number one faith. You're talking about the major two. You're talking about 70% of the world believing through this line. Okay. It's I mean, <laughs> 70% of the world believing through this line here. You know, the other 30 are, are Muslim and, and Buddhist and all that other stuff. But, but 70% of the world at this date, 6,000 years later, at least are believing through this line, he wasn't playing when he said your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. When he and, and, and I wonder, was he accounting for those who would be engrafted and adopted into the faith for the Gentile and the Jew alike that would eventually come and be adopted and engrafted? I would I would be willing to bet that this those are included as well. And I think that's something to be excited about. And that God thought about it and made a plan for us even still. Um, and and I'm, I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. I'm getting excited about the word. Um, but then he makes this promise, this promise that I kind of take to heart myself. In verse 15, he says, I am with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And, and I think that comes back full circle. Because he says, I saw that you sinned, you made me mad, then you made me even, you made me mad, so I put you out of the garden. Then you made me even more upset, so I, I, I flooded the whole earth. And then after I flooded the whole earth, I reduced your life. <laughs> after I reduced your life, you still wasn't getting it. You were still acting up. Y'all were still acting crazy. And you know what? I still want to reconcile with you. And so you know what? I, I realize you're not strong enough. And because you're strong enough, I'm here. I'm your daddy. Daddy's here. I'm with you. And I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to make sure that when you stumble that I put you back on track. I'm going to make sure that when you fall, I'm going to pick you back up. Make sure that you get rerouted. I might have to punish you every now and then. I may have to break your legs every now and then, but I'm going to be your shepherd. I'm going to make sure that you get back to this land. I'm going to take you away for a little bit. You're going to have to go through some things for a little bit. You're going to have to experience some things for a little bit. You know, you're, you're going to lose some things. I'm going to take some things away with you from you, but I'm going to make sure that you come back here. I'm not going to leave you. Uh, I'm not going to leave you. And then when I, I won't leave you until I've done what I promised you. And then the things that I promised you are going to blow your mind. And then I'm only going to let you see some pieces of it. And so I think it's absolutely positively mind shattering how awesome God is, how marvelous God is. And so when we start to see these things that he is, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm telling you, it blows my mind every single time. But then Let's keep going. Let's keep, let's keep traveling. And so when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he, he said, surely the Lord was not aware of it. We talked about that. Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took a stone and he placed it on his head and he made the pillar. And that's where he called the place Bethel through the city that used to be called Luz. We talked about that. Verse 20, he said, then Jacob made a vow. Now look, anytime you see somebody making a vow in Jesus and in, in, in the Bible and it ain't God, you need to get nervous. Because we see that we're not strong enough to make vows. But he makes this vow. He says, if God will be me with me, I will watch and will watch over me like he didn't already promise. 
um, I'm taking in this journey and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I, I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. So he's put like these. <laughs> I understand he was trying to be deep, but it, it, it looked kind of shallow here. So he's like, hey, if you'll, if you'll do the stuff you said you'd do, I guess you can be my God. I, I, I really think he was being really cocky. I, I really do. And, and I, I think that shows his humanity. Like, he still don't get it. Um, <laughs> but he makes his vow. He says, yeah, if you'll do what you said, you'll do. And we know that God is faithful to perform everything that he says. Um, I guess you can be my God. And so he makes his vow. And this stone that I have will set a pillar to be God's house. And all that you have, I'll give you the tenth. So we see the beginnings of the tenth. We see the beginnings of the tenth because he's made this, he's made this promise. And so he's decided that he's going to make this sacrifice regardless. And he says, everything that I give, I'll give you a tenth uh, because you're going to keep me. You're going to protect me and you're going to provide for me. And so we see the beginnings of this. And I think um, it kind of sets the way for us to, to pattern our lives. People have a lot of, like they, a lot of people, don't believe in tithing anymore because it says it's an Old Testament thing and, and God does, Jesus doesn't mention it. And he does mention giving, but he doesn't necessarily mention the tithe. And so they want to get rid of the tithe. I think the tithe is one of those things that while it's not a mandate for the Christian, I think it's a good thing to exercise. And here's, here's why I believe this. Because the tithe tells God, it's, it's like this reminder that God, I trust you with everything. I trust you when my coming, when I'm coming in, when I'm going out. I trust you while I'm moving. I trust you while I'm living. I trust you in my being. I trust you in all that I am and all that is within me. I trust you, oh God. And since I trust you, I'm going to give you my tenth no matter what. No matter what my bills say. No matter what the, 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 the debt collectors are saying. No matter what my spouse says, I'm going to give you the tenth. Because I trust you to be God in my life. And so when I I, kind of cringe when people are like, well, I don't tithe because that's antiquated and the church is trying to rip me off. It's not about the church. It's not about your crooked pastor. If you have a crooked pastor, and I hope you don't. It's not about you being concerned about where your money is going. And if you're concerned with where your money is going, you're thinking about it wrong. Because that 10th, it shouldn't be your concern should not be. I want to see where my money is going. And see, see, we've kind of adopted this philanthropist mentality when it comes to our tithe. It's not, it's not about a philanthropy. It's not about my money going here. I want to see where my money is going. It's about this is God's and however God sees fit to allow it to be used is his business. And I mean, I'm, I'm one of those past, like when I, I'm not pastoring now, but when I pastored, we did tithing offering, tithing offering, but I didn't take a salary. I didn't take a salary. Every dime was put back into the ministry. And so, and and I still believe it's not about where you see your money going. Now, uh, if I ever pass again, would the church, would I, would the church give out statements? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I probably would because I'm a finance minded person. I believe you all don't account for every penny. I want to make sure that you see that we're not ripping you off. But I also believe that the mindset behind you who tithe, it's a it's a it's a it's not even an offering, it is a prerequisite. It's like this 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 is me proving my faithfulness to you, oh God. It's not about me seeing my money because it's not my money. And I think that's a mindset that we have to break. 
I understand there are crooked preachers out there and there are people who are out there that are preaching things that are not right and they're trying to take advantage of you. I do understand that. And I believe that as a, as a person of God, that you shouldn't be up on this shepherd like that because you do get a say in what church you go to. But at the same time, I think that there, the way that we think about our tithe um, should be different. I, I don't think we should think of our tithe as our money, me saying where my money goes. I think we should think of our tithe as a sacrifice to God because of who he is and how the church uses it ought to be ordained by what the vision that God has put in the shepherd's heart. That's how it ought to be used. Now, I know I understand it does not always used that way, but it ought to be used that way. That's how it should work. But I think when you start talking about tithing and putting an offering in, 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 in the plate and an and offering of your time, it should not be about what everybody else is doing with it or whether you feel like you're being misused or mistreated, because if the heart is right, I don't, I don't believe that it should be, uh, that is that way. And I'm a tither. I'm a tither. I've been a tither for a while. Um, and I'm a tither. I'm going to tell you why I'm a tither. And I, and I want to talk about this for a minute because I think there's a lot of a bad press around tithing. Um, there's a promise that, that the Bible makes, uh, about tithing. I mean, you know, it talks about bringing your, your tithing storehouse and it talks about all those things, but it says that he will rebuke the devourer for our sake. And that's kind of like an insurance plan. <laughs> and that's not my only reason for tithing, but I am going to hit that real quick. Um, um, and so I, I think, I think when we start to look at, at, at you know, the, he's going to rebuke the devourer for, for our sake, that means that that's, that's special protection. Now, sure, the Christian or the Jew or anybody who reads the Psalms, he says, he hides me in the secret place of the most high. Yeah, that, that doesn't have a prerequisite of, of tithing to it. You know, he talks about no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now there's no prerequisite of tithing to that. But the fact that he will rebuke the devourer who is lingering, the Satan who is lingering, who is trying to see you fall, who has this desire to trip you up. He's, he's promising to rebuke him at every turn. I, that's, that's, that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. You know, I, when I think about that, that makes me excited. But then when I think about the 10th, I, I think, I think we've, we've got to understand this. When we start to see the scriptures about tithing, when they talk about giving and shall be given, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I think we've got to understand that um, like a container. So because it says that if you'll give and that's not even talking about tithing, that's just talking about giving in general. If you'll give. You'll receive men will give into your bosom. It's not even talking about God, but God will allow men to give into your bosom, press down. So like, imagine you got a trash can and they're putting things in it and they're pressing it down. You know how you can pack down trash, trying to fit more stuff in the can, pressing it down. They're shaking it up, trying to make more room and they're still putting stuff and you still don't have room to receive it. And that's just from giving. That's not even the tithe. And so we start talking about this. I've never seen somebody go broke from giving. Never seen somebody broke from giving. And so, I mean, I, I understand people are, have, have, have had this sour taste in their mouth because they've been mixed up in ministries where they feel like people are pimping them and they don't believe the anointing is real. But I think if you understand tithing in whatever ministry you're a part of, uh, I think it, it'll, it'll become very fruitful. I, some of the most blessed people in my life are faithful tithers. tithers. They got healthy, you know, and I'm not saying they got perfect marriages. They get healthy marriages. They got healthy kids. 
They, they, they drive the kind of cars they want to drive. They live in the kind of homes they want to live in. They take vacation like they want to. Their prayers are effective and fervent. They're righteous. They thrive toward holiness. And all these people are tithers. Do I think it's a coincidence? No, I don't. I don't think that's the only factor. Um, I, I do think they pursue holiness, and I do think they pursue righteousness. I do think they want to be right inside of God, but they're all tithers. Some, some of the, the most genuine folks I know are, are tithers. And I understand you don't want to be ripped off. I think, and I think in this society, it is important that we try to stay away from snakes. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be willing to put this before you. If you feel like you're at a church where the preacher is a snake <laughs> or, or a wolf, I wouldn't want to be attached to that church. And I don't care how big it is. I don't. I don't. And I understand some people want to be part of these big ministries because you feel like the ministry must be thriving and he must be anointed. Just because he got a lot of people don't mean that the, the, the minister is anointed. Just because you get chill bumps when he preaches does not mean that it's anointed. It makes you, you make sure that you're measuring these things by the word. Because the word is the only thing that will stand at the end of the day. And, you know, it kind of it kind of bothered me today. I saw somebody in, in a, in a uh, forum for Christians and she said that she didn't believe that the Bible was the final authority of God. And while I agreed with some of the stuff she said, I didn't agree with what she said there, because I believe at the end of the day that everything will point back to the word. Because in the remember, <laughs> and I guess if you, I guess if you don't believe the Bible is the final word, it doesn't matter that I say what John one says in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was with God. Um, <laughs> but I believe that I mean, you know I say it all the time. I believe that science points back to the word. I believe that uh, history points back to the word, and I believe that current events point back to the word. I, I do, and 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 I think y'all have been with me for several episodes, and I think we have seen it play out time and time again. It all points back to Jesus. Will you listen? Yeah, I think it's the uh, the question that needs to be answered at the end of the day. So I, you know, we we see this end here on the tenth, and we're talking about that. And I think uh, that's that's exciting to me. That's exciting to me. All right, so let's dive into chapter twenty nine. Chapter 29, we see Jacob is leaving. So chapter verse 1, it says, Then Jacob hurried on, finally to arrive in the land of the east. And he saw a well in the distance. Man, all these wells. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be replaced back over the water, the mouth of the well. And Jacob went over the, uh, to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? He said, We're from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? He answered. So, yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, uh, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the flock now. Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and the goats so they can get back to pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they, they replied. Then the shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well, and, the, and we watered all the sheep and the goats. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with his father, her father's flocks, for she was a shepherd. Hmm. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and the goats belonged to her, his uncle Laban, 
Jacob went over to the well and he moved the stone from his mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side and and the son of her aunt Rebekah. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. And as soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob told him his story, Laban exclaimed, You are really my own flesh and blood. So, so Jacob gets there. He is, he's present. He, he sees this well in the distance. And, you know, we talked about wells last time. I think it's, it's ironic that it keeps coming up. I, I, it, <laughs> it's always, it seems to just continue to be a thing, the well, the well, the well. Um, and then the three flocks of sheep, you know, they're, they're there or whatever. And then they have this protocol. We keep seeing protocol come up. And Jacob is always trying to break protocol. And so these guys, these guys are like, look, this is not how we do these things around here. The protocol is we don't take it off until until all the, sh- sh- the, sh- the uh, flocks get here. So we do this thing one time. We, we're not going to, we're not going to do this. Let them sit here. They can wait. They can come back. But until everybody gets here, we're not opening the well. Okay. So Jacob sees, um, you know, he sees all these animals. They come out and then this girl, Rachel shows up. It's his cousin. He gets excited. Uh, he hugs her. He kisses. He's never met her. I, I would imagine he's never met her. He hugs her. He kisses her. And then he starts to weep, which was kind of odd to me. And then, you know, I have my, my, my theories on that. I'm not certain. Um, but he kisses Rachel. He weeps aloud. And so, you know, we could read this at face value and be like, oh, he wept because, um, you know, <laughs> this is his, his uncle's family and he's finally arrived. He doesn't have to keep traveling. His feet might hurt. You know, you know, I just drawing some conclusions. But, you know, the romantic in me wants to believe that he sees Rachel, right? And he sees this beautiful woman. And he just knows. He just knows. I, I, this is what I want to believe. This is the romantic in me. This desire to see love and to see uh, people caring about each other. I mean, really in love. Like, this is just like, this is just me. Now, I'm not, look, I haven't got this from anybody's commentary. I ain't listened to anybody. I haven't reached this in the, I hadn't read this in the Bible and gotten any kind of revelation. This is just me reading and inferring and, and wondering, could that have been what it was? Because I wasn't there. Um, I was not there. Um, but I, just in looking at this, this is what I what I presume. So verse 12, he explained to Rachel, like we said, and then something happens, right? Laban comes out and he's excited. You're the flesh. You're my own flesh and blood. And, and I think that says a lot. You know, we can adopt people and we got friends and family, but there is something about meeting somebody who is akin to you. There's something about you know, all these things. I've got a lot of, I got, well, I don't have a lot of friends. I know a lot of people. There are a good deal of people that I love. I mean, I really love them. I mean, I'm not kin to them, but I love them. But there's nothing like that little girl that I, I came in that came out of my mama. <laughs> and my mama and daddy had uh, a few years after I was born. I remember the day that kid was born like it was yesterday. I remember fighting with that kid all the way through our childhood. I remember when I couldn't stand stand her and I wanted them to take her back. To the, I thought she came from Walmart, even though I knew we went to the hospital. <laughs> I wanted them to take her back, but there is something about that kid. I will defend that kid. It, it, I can talk about it, but you can't talk about it. There's something about a blood relationship that just draws people in. Now, some people that, you know, they do their family just as dirty as they want to. We're going to see that in a minute. But he gets excited. You're my flesh and blood. I met you. You're my cousin. You know, and I love my granddaddy. My granddaddy cries every time we come over. 
It's something about seeing your flesh, your blood, that, that you know, somebody who is tied to you through DNA. Um, that's, it's an emotional experience. But let's move on. Verse 15. Six, yeah, we're going to continue in 14. And Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month. So Laban, you know, Jacob been sitting around the house. He he been working. He's been playing his thing. Um, he was sitting there. He was chilling. And and um, verse fifteen, Laban said to him, "You shouldn't work for me without pay, just because we're relatives. Tell me how much your wage should be." Now Laban had two daughters, right? And the older daughter's name was Leah, but the younger daughter's name was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. <laughs> I love how the scripture points that out. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. So, you know, he, he you know, he nodded, wept out there, you know, whether he was excited about being there or he was excited about seeing this beautiful woman. But he's been at the house for a month. He ain't been there for two years. He ain't been there for a year. It's not been. He was there for a month. And when Laban said, hey, what's your wage? What, what do I have to pay you? He said, hey, I, man, I will work for you for seven whole years. Just give me Rachel. Oh, that's all my life's content would be. Just give me Rachel. If you'll give me Rachel, man, that, that's all I want right now. And, and, and then the scripture points to him. And I, I believe this is the interpretation of, of, of the heart of Jacob. It wasn't no sparkling Leah's eyes. Now, I don't, I'm wondering, is Leah really ugly or was Leah just not what he wanted? Because there's a plenty of people that I just, you know, they ain't ugly people. I just don't see no sparkle in their eye when I look at them. <laughs> and this is, the, you know, this is just me inferring in the scripture, you know. And I encourage you to read the word like this. When you ask these questions, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Do your study. And I just, I'm curious. It says there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Was there no sparkle to Jacob? <laughs> or was there no sparkle at all? Like, was she scary looking? Like, what, what, what is this? What was it? But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. So whatever it was, Jacob liked what he saw. Uh, he was a fan of seeing this woman. In verse 18, he says, Jacob was in love with Rachel. And it just say he loved in love with Rachel. He told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel. Verse 19, agree, <laughs> Laban required, re replied, I'd rather give it to you than anyone else. Uh, stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But watch what the scripture says. It says, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. I think that this speaks to us in two ways. First, I think that when we start talking about a spouse, and, you know, people want to argue that people didn't get married back in the old days. Um, they didn't get married back in the old days for love. I want to rebut this. I think that some people did get married as part of arrangements, and I think that we see that clearly in Scripture. We see that clearly in history. But I do believe that love was very much so well and alive uh, because not only do we see this here, we see that in Samson, and granted, Samson was in love with the wrong thing. <laughs> we see it with Solomon, and even though Solomon had a whole bunch of women and a whole bunch of concubines, uh, the Bible talks about the one that his soul loved. And here we see Jacob talking about him being in love with Rachel, I think love was very much so alive. And I think that there were people who did indeed want to marry for love, even though it wasn't necessarily the custom. 
even though it wasn't necessarily what was expected of them, I, I think that there were plenty of people who were in the business of trying to marry for love. And I think that as we start to look at this thing, because a lot of people want to enter into marriage as a business um, deal. Um, a lot of people want to marry, get into marriage because of the tax benefits. But I think that love, I think these things are important. I think that you being compatible are important. I think these things are, are very, very wise. But I also think it's really important that we understand that love is indeed glue. Now, if you got two bricks and those bricks are not sitting right, that glue is not going to help you. But I think that if they're sitting right and the wind were to blow and you got the right mortar sitting in between them, it's the difference between your house falling down and your house standing strong. Um, and I mean, we can talk a little bit more, but y'all know I've got a new podcast coming out called Relationship Goals. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, because I don't, I don't want to really delve into that a lot. I, I'm just I'm spinning here. Uh, but verse 21 continues and he says, uh, finally, the time came for him to marry him. I have fulfilled my agreement. Jacob said to Laban, I mean, Jacob, y'all, Jacob was getting excited. Look, I have the seven years have come and I'm excited. Oh, oh, I was supposed to illuminate this for you. Remember, we talked about his love for her was, was so strong that it seemed like it was buzzed for a few days. If you'll go back to if you'll go to Daniel, not back to Daniel, but if you go to Daniel, Daniel talks about the uh, the week of years. Um, and this was kind of prophecy to what the prophecy that Daniel was going to give. <laughs> I love it when God does that. But this was kind of the prophecy to that, that sometimes that when we talk about a promise, a week of days would be seven years. And I just, I just wanted to pull that out there for my biblical scholars that listen. Um, but he he worked a week of years. And so it didn't feel like he was working for seven years, even though he worked for seven years. It felt like he worked for a week because his heart was so fervent. And so I think that that's a call to your calling. When you're working in your calling, things may be toilsome and hard and frustrating but when you're where you're supposed to be a week will feel like a day um and a year will feel like a week or seven seven years will feel like a week and so i think that's 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 really really cool um but jacob says to laban now give me my wife so i can sleep with her <laughs> so laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast but that night when it was dark laban took leah to jacob so he slept with her <laughs> Ooh. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raised at Laban. <laughs> and Laban took Leah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, he says, I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? <laughs> and he says, it is not our custom to marry off our younger daughter before the firstborn. Right? Laban says, but wait until the bridal week is over and we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So you remember when we were talking about the birthright and how the oldest was supposed to get the birthright, but Jacob was a trickster and him and his mama went and tried to go shice his daddy. And since he went about it the wrong way, God's law of retribution comes back full circle again. And since he's back again, we see that Laban, God has kind of trumped up this super trickster to get our trickster here in the story. Our trickster here in the story, of course, is Jacob. But Laban, Laban is, is more clever than even Jacob. Now, Jacob, it's like Jacob went from being crooked to trying to be right and then expected in his rightness, expected somebody to be right, to be right with him. But if you're a trickster, you need to be expected to be dealt with like a trickster. And, and he was not prepared for that. And it, it got him. It got him. And so he wakes up after he has signed and, and, and sure his wedding. 
night. You know, this he he asked, bring me my wife so I can sleep with. He was he was all about making sure that he had sealed this marriage, and he sealed the marriage to the wrong woman, and it trapped him. He's married to Leah, and he didn't want to be with Leah. Oh man, that sucks. Like, <laughs> like that really sucks. And so he he's upset with Laban. When really this was his retribution for how he did his brother and his father. Y'all, what you saw comes back. We talked about this, but what you saw, it comes back. It comes back. But even in all of this, Laban says, look, I want to marry off my two daughters anyway. Work for me seven years, and then I give you mother daughter. So, yep. So, you know, obviously he's still in love with Rachel. You know, he's angry. He's livid. But... So verse 28, he says, so Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban, Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. And so Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. And then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. So, like, that's the thing. Like, everybody loves this love story between Jacob and Rachel. Like, we read this and we see how he he loved her so much that seven years was like a few days. And, and we see how he weeps uh, upon seeing her. We see this love that burns so deeply for him in spite of the fact that he's a flawed man. And, and y'all, we get, I could talk about that for days because, you know, I'm a very black and white person. But even in relationship, right, I think it's important that we understand that we're with flawed people. We love flawed people. Um, but even in the fact that he's flawed, he loves this woman and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get her, to have her, um, and all of that good stuff. And so he finds himself in this situation where he's he's been played. But he still commits to working. And I think that speaks a lot of, that speaks volumes, man. Um, that speaks volumes and that says, hey, Look, this might be hard. You might require work, but you're worth the work. No, I'm not going to sit in this thing and say, hey, I'm sick of working on your behalf. I made vows. I love you. And since I love you, I'm going to work for you. Now, I also think this sets us up, and we're going to talk about this next week. This sets us up to deal with Leah. Nobody talks about Leah and how jacked up the situation is for Leah. Like everybody's enthralled with Rachel and Jacob and how in love they are and how tragic it is that she can't have children and everybody's into that. But I think we miss what this does to Leah. And I think we can relate that back to um, today and a lot of how broken a lot of our women are. Um, and, and, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to definitely dive deep into that because I think it's important. I think it's really important for us to understand how important it is uh, not only to love your spouse, and I think it's really beautiful how Jacob loves Rachel, um, but to understand what you're worth. Um, And we're going to see that with Leah, um, who doesn't really see what she's worth, and she's really on this deep search for love and belonging, and it doesn't seem like she ever gets it, Um, which is so sad to me. It's so sad to me, but I'm Reverend Kojo God. I'm so y'all guys. I'm so glad you tuned into Bible school. Y'all make sure that you're checking out ReverendKojo.com. There's so much stuff there. Um, like I said, there's a new podcast coming here any day now called Relationship Goals, and and I'm excited about exploring what God has to say about relationships, and that's friendship, that's kinship, that's fellowship, that's all of the above. Until next time, y'all. I'm Reverend Kojo. Y'all be blessed.